This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, this sucks. comments we get the we get those a lot absolutely. absolutely i can't even really drink it anymore to be honest with you i don't know what it is it hurts my stomach now is it that good a coffee or is it just like like what's the deal i i don't know man I, i'm the same as pete i don't drink it i don't know i drink it used to be it, it used to be the taste is pretty good but uh i don't know i'd say about 10 years ago or something like that it's something changed in it and because I used to be able to drink it religiously and it wouldn't bother me at all. And then all of a sudden it's like one cup and it's hurting my stomach and gotcha. Like, no, there's something, something's changed in this recipe or whatever it is. So, cause <laughs> I can't go without my coffee. I'm one of those guys. I amen to that. I yeah. resemble that remark. There ain't no doubt. But, Have you ever been up to Canada, Greg? No, I, uh, I, oh, I mean, besides walking across at Niagara Falls, but that doesn't really count. It's like coming to Vegas and saying you went to America. No, you didn't. You went to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I mean, I, I, am I wrong? Like no. Vegas is not America and walking across the border at Niagara Falls isn't Canada. But I do have a friend uh, from Canadian Whitetail, Dean, that has been trying to get me to come hunting up there for shit i'm a terrible friend long time like a decade yeah right on. so and so of course finally so i mean i've been i've been doing this archery gig on the you know doing what i do for long long time and one of one of the things that disgusted me way back when and it's still that same way now is how marketing people in our industry are cunts um period and so what they will do <laughs> Is they will say, oh, yeah, for company X, they'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, well, just a kind of hunt, you know, what was good, man, you know, you're going to yeah. take me on a hunt. And so basically they, they give sponsorships as, as favors for 
any given entity or TV show or whatever it may be. Let me turn off my phone before I'm that guy. Oh, <coughs> um, that's a good call. Good call. I forgot about that. And, uh, and then, so, you know, so basically what you end up with is one shitty shows getting better contracts because they were able to take the marketing guy on, on a hunt or hunts oh. and the bigger the company, the bigger the hunts and the bigger the money. So anyway, I decided early on, well, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not hunting with people that I, that I've sponsored for companies on behalf of my clients. Well, it's been so, so finally, you know, like a year or two ago, I'm like, and Dean kills some slobs up there. Like, I mean, he come to any American beach and throw horns on some of the people laying on the beach. And that's how fat some of these deer are that he kills. <laughs> they're, they're, they're slobs. And so finally I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm coming. Hook it up. All right. Well, you're gonna have to get vaccinated. All right. Talk to you later. Um, I'm not getting <laughs> yeah. vaccinated just to come. I'm not getting vaccinated for any reason. And I think we know the vaccine we're talking about, yeah. not the ones. Yeah. And so, um, so finally I was like, yeah. And then, course up there he's like and it hurt him because he has a really good guide business and so um he's like well you got to be vaccinated to come in to the thing and i'm like yeah. call me when that's call me when that's done and then of course seeing what the uh clown face is doing up there with pistols and other stuff i'm going to get us started on that right that's what i'm yeah. saying yeah we gotta live we're with a fucking idiot where well, about is uh is your buddy there is he in the prairies Dean's in, he's in uh, Ontario. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And they, I mean, obviously I was good friends with Jason Peterson before his, his unfortunate accident. Um, and so I will be up there. Um, you know, obviously I'm friends with Aaron McGlattery and Chris Perkins who are professional target archers. And uh, so, no, I'm, I will be, I will be for sure. The real one, <coughs> not the Derek, not the Niagara Falls one. Anyway, <laughs> right on, man. So when did you get into, uh, into like well i guess archery well so i was living in malin oregon and in 1999 i had um a couple friends who were farmers that were big time into bow hunting and you know so they kind of they kind of got me into the bow hunting thing um like starting off they they uh they were big into this one company that didn't work out, but they gave me, they gave me my first bow and it was 145 pound Oregon wind Walker literally had one wood limbs like this thick on it. Um, and I shot it with fingers, 145 pounds with fingers, 24, 19s. It was terrible. Um, but that's what kind of got me started in archery and I liked it. And so got out of that bow, got into, you know, my first real compound bow, I per se was a Pearson 551 pro series at like 92 pounds that had no business being stretched out to 32 inches in draw length. Um, and then from there it just kind of grew. Um, and then later in, uh, early, early 2000, um, same, you know, some other friends were like, Hey, we're going to go shoot this, um, tournament in, uh, in Wairica, California. And I'm like, kick rocks on those tournaments. I'm a hunter. And, uh, so finally they were like, well, if you come shoot a tournament, it'll make you a better shooter. And when you're a better shooter, that makes you a better hunter. And I was like, yeah, I got nothing for that. All right, let's go. And so very first tournament, very first tournament of my life, it's unmarked. So I step up there and I do the whole thing and, you know, shooting the, the Fletcher, you know, uh, uh, wrist strap and uh, very first tournament, very first arrow. 
four score of my whole life, I shoot a zero. <laughs> Fat one. Like, didn't even find the arrow. Like, yeet, gone. Didn't even hear it land. Gone. And I was like, what in the? I'm like, okay. So we finish out the day, and I don't even remember what I scored. And I'm like, well, that was, except for that first arrow, that was kind of fun. That was a little bit of fun. So about three weeks later, they're like, hey, there's another tournament just down south, not the same place. Let's go. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Second tournament of my life, uh, my 41st arrow for score. Step up. I'll never forget it. It was on a grizzly bear. Um, and I stood up and I stared and I stared and I stared. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I got this. Pull back. Pins, of course. Funk. Zero. Low between its legs. And of course, as good friends, what do good friends do? They oh. laugh at you. Yep. <laughs> they laugh at you. And so I played highly competitive basketball and I'm a, I'm super competitive. So I turned around and it's all good. They're laughing. I would have done the same thing. And I looked at them and I said, uh, I'm going to tell you guys something right now. I'm either getting really good at this or I'm quitting because that's bullshit. And from then on, um, you know, at the time I was hanging out with Tom and Thomas Neely, who created Winner's Choice Bowstrings, Bob Gentry, who's the greatest finger shooter, greatest compound finger shooter archery has ever seen, archery will ever see, because one, who the shit shoots compound with fingers anymore. But let me tell you something about Bob Gentry. Bob used to be a logger, got into an accident anyway. He was a tiny little dude. I literally watched with my own peepers, my own peepers. I watched Bob Gentry with a compound bow of Matthew's Conquest 2 fingers shoot 300 Vegas rounds, shoot 60x five spot rounds, and shoot 550 plus field rounds with fingers. It was, it was, you didn't go practice with Bob and just fiddle fuck around because he would embarrass you. He was that good. And then Alan Ruddick, who was an incredibly good archer. So I was fortunate to come up in a really good area. I was friends with Cave Johnson up in Oregon. He's uh, the owner of Spot Hog. And so from the from the 41st arrow that hit the dirt, um, I decided right away, I need to be a sponge. Um, obviously, nobody does, nobody does this on their own. I don't give a shit who you are. Jesse Broadwater, Dave Cousins, Levi Morgan. I don't care who you are. Terry Ragsdale. I, I don't care who you are. Somebody helped you along the way. Nobody, nobody's done this all on their own. And anyone that says they're done, says they have, they're lying. And so that group of people, the Neelys and Bob Gentry and Alan Ruddick and Cave Johnson, I just started asking questions and we would stand there and shoot for God, hundreds of hours. And, and so we only lived about two hours or so from the Reading range. So we would meet at like four in the morning at Tom Neely's house, we'd all pile into one truck, drive to Reading, be there when the sun came up, shoot all day, all day, and then drive home. We would be shooting arrows in the headlights when it got dark and then drive back home. And so I just started trying to be an information sponge and I, and I can't thank those guys enough. And then I would sit in my garage and just tune and tinker and this and that and the other. And the reason that I continued to be driven like that is because I saw results, results in, in, in myself results in my confidence and I got better. And so the more of the more information I gathered, the better I shot, the better I scored and the more fun I had because sucking is not fun. I don't care what any, Oh, I'm just out here shooting arrows. Fuck yeah. that. That's cool. I'm well, competing. Suck, sucking at anything is no fun. Literally. Well, um, 
So, uh, you're right. So, but you know, and, and I do enjoy shooting arrows, of course, but, um, you know, I want to hit what I'm aiming at. And when I don't, I want to know why, which doesn't mean if me and the boys are walking around out in the woods or whatever, and there's a, there's a, you know, a dirt pile or an old log out there, 150 yards, and we're going to launch judo points at it. And I miss that. I break my bow in half. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but in the context of competitions and especially in the context of hunting, um, what I found was literally less than a year after I started shooting tournaments, my confidence behind the bow grew exponentially. And so what that did is it opened up for me way more harvest opportunities on animals because I could shoot better. Um, you know, it doesn't mean I'm launching, you know, I'm not spraying them out there and hoping for a result. I literally got to the point where within the confines of my particular skill set and confidence at that time, I could make any shot that I felt comfortable that I could make. Now, obviously at this stage of, of my life and career, <clears throat> if I can put this pin on that and execute my shot, I don't care how far it is. I mean, me personally, I would much rather shoot a deer at 60 to 80 yards than I would 20 because at 20, I'm seeing it breathe at yeah. 20. I'm seeing it blink its eyes. And then all of a sudden, regardless of where I am, an earthquake happens. And all of a sudden I feel like I can't stand still and I am shaking and it's just ridiculous. But if, if the deer's out there, any animals out there, at, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards, I don't have, you know, the nerves are a little bit different. Yeah. I don't worry about the shot execution or any of that stuff. I literally, it, it just gives me a little bit, you know, and I have shot deer at 20 and it is spectacular. It's a different kind of experience. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, at 80, you may hear the of the arrow, you know, hitting, yeah. hitting the pocket, but you don't hear it like you do at 20 at 20. No, you, the experience is totally different. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things that, that really, you know, started happening for me was that level of confidence grew as my tuning ability grew. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait, you're shooting an arrow without veins on it. What the shit would you do that for? And then the first time I remember the first time I watched someone shoot an arrow with no veins on it, and it went dead in the middle at 20 yards. I was like, what is this witchcraft? You know, cause I understand yeah. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if you have a bear shaft, that's flying pretty decent. Your veins don't have to work as hard. Yeah. Right. So, so from that point on, you know, I started shooting a lot, um, turned pro in 2005 and started inventing products and getting into the industry side of things. And then I stopped working for the railroad and here we are. Nice. You mentioned you started out tuning and tinkering and that's kind of, cause you're, I mean, you're well known in the industry and you're really well known for, uh, tuning a bow. I mean, mm -hmm. I heard you can, you know, you can tune a wrench. So you just, well, you just, started in your garage or was it something you, you had somebody helping you along the line with? Well, I mean, <clears throat> when you are, you know, and this is something that I tell, tell a lot of people and look, we can get into the pluses and minuses of being a professional in archery and how you can just basically pay 75 bucks and you're a pro. However, when someone says, should I go pro? What I always tell them is, okay, look, here's the thing. If you turn pro and you go shoot a 3d event or a indoor event or a marked yardage event or a reading or whatever it may be. And you're in a group with legitimate pipeline pros. You're not going to win, especially not at first, but every single one of those events and every single one of those days is a seminar. 
Mm-hmm. Ask questions, you, you know, ask questions, yep. open your ears, and then keep your damn mouth shut. Like literally the conversations that happen amongst these groups <clears throat> is the most pertinent, applicable information you'll right. ever get. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you don't need to Google anything if you're in a group of real pros and you ask a question because you're going to get more information than Google could ever imagine without the bullshit. Right. Yeah. Because the thing that a lot of people don't understand is if you told me, hey, yo, GP, if you wear a pink thong under your under your pants, bro, your score will go up five points. I'm shopping for a triple extra large pink thong <laughs> and I'm doing it. That's it. I don't care. I, if you told me if I put on my shirt backwards, I'll shoot five points higher. I'm wearing my shirt backwards all day, air day. Because when, when you get to a certain level of, of shooting, all you care about is the result. I don't, you don't care about, you know, oh, well, but the internet said that you need to do, I don't give a shit. I don't care. All I care about is when I go dunk, 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 and I walk down to the target, what's the scoreboard? What's it look like? Mm -hmm. Is it forgiving? Do I have a wad down there? Do I have a group like this down there? So, so that for me is kind of what the result was with hanging out with Bob Gentry and Alan Ruddick and Cave Johnson and the Neelys and all that was simply immersion. And then I took that and went into my garage and just started doing just things to see what would happen. I mean, mean, like, so if you were to go to the house, I'm assuming it's the same, but if you were to go to my old house on Bryant street in Klamath Falls, we're going to go into the garage and go to about the middle. There's going to be a spray painted outline of two size 14 shoes on the floor. Why was the reason for that? Well, I was sitting there and I kept having a problem when I would come to full draw, I would drift left and right. My aim wasn't, you know, when I tried doing stabilizers and all that, but then I realized one time that when I come to full draw, I, for me, I was left of the target and I don't mean left of the target a little, like a whole bale like five feet. And so when that happens, what I would have to do is I would have to twist my torso to get on target. Well, if you're, if you're manually consciously having to twist your torso to get on target, you then have to maintain that muscle tension to stay there. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen. So then you start to do this. So what I did was I, was I started moving my back foot. I didn't move my front foot. I started moving my back foot forward and back until I could draw with my eyes closed and I would be directly on target. Oh yeah. And I was like, I was like, huh, well that, that seems easier. And so I spray painted around my not good shoes, of course, um, my work boots, (laughs) but I spray painted around where my feet are positioned for my bail in the garage. So that when I came to full draw eyes closed, eyes open, I was directly on target. So then I had to, I had to move my core less to get on target. Right. And I saw a significant jump from that. And so, you know, I do stuff like that. You know, I would get a, I would get a bow tuned as good as I thought I could, uh, have a tangible result and then change it just to see what it would do. Yeah. Whether it was timing, whether it was for hold, whether it was moving my rest for tune. Um, I would just intentionally fuck stuff up to see what happens downrange, yeah. you know, and that was, you know, that was just something that kind of consumed me for a long, long time was just trying to figure out the equipment side. Cause it's my opinion that, you know, like a car, like a truck, and I don't have this one down pat, but if I go to leave my office today in my truck and something mechanically happens, I am not a mechanic. If that shit pulls over to the side of the road and I look down and the fuel gauge is on full, 
I'm calling somebody, not a mechanic. Yeah. But with archery, I came to believe that if you don't intimately understand uh, how the bow works, what makes the bow work and things that make it not do what it needs to do. Cause I mean, look, I've heard from a lot of people, Oh, it's a machine. It does the same thing every time. Well, yeah, but what if it's doing it not right? And we don't shoot the same arrow. I mean, I've done this test. I'm a huge fan of the spot hog hooter shooter. And so people are like, what's well, a machine. It'll shoot the arrow into the same spot every time. Yes. Yes, it will. And if you're going to shoot that same damn arrow and go pull it and then shoot the same arrow again, it's going to hit the same hole. Yeah. Shoot another arrow and then talk to me about that. It's not how it works. And so, and I've literally done this with a machine, taken a bow that was so out of tune. It made me dizzy to watch the arrow flight and it will shoot that arrow into the same hole every single time. But as soon as you grab another arrow out of the hooter shooter, all of a sudden your group looks like this at 20. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that aren't listening to this, I just made a big circle with my fingers. And so, you know, that is part of the process where yes, it's a machine, but you know, one of the analogies that I've always used is, is if you're driving down the road in your truck and it's pulling to the left, you can get out and take air out of the right front tire and that'll make it drive straight down the middle of the road. Did you fix it? No, no, you didn't fix it. You put a bandaid on it. It's driving straight. So it must be good. Wrong. N not the case at all. Right. Um, and, and I use that analogy a lot for people that are, you know, like a lot of times, you know, I get so many messages about tuning. They're like, well, I've moved my rest in and I've moved my rest out and I've moved my cable rod and it just doesn't change the tune. Well, then your cams aren't in the right spot. Mechanically, you are not delivering the arrow straight down, uh, straight down the pipe. Mm -hmm. If you're moving your rest and you're moving your cable rod and it's not changing your tune, your cams are not in the right spot. Yeah. That's just a fact. Yeah. And so put the arrow back in the middle, whichever way it's tearing that you just shim the cams and watch what happens. Then you are mechanically making the bow deliver the arrow properly. It's not, it's, you know, like you see people that are, and even if they're shooting good and their rest is freaking way out left or way in right for a right-handed shooter or a left, uh -huh. I guess, and they're still shooting good, but their stuff's just all sideways. And that's because mm -hmm. they had to put a bandaid on a situation. They didn't know how to technically remedy to try to get it to shoot as good as, as they can. Yeah. But mechanically, that doesn't mean that the bow is functioning. So because I got to hang out with those amazing archers, it that basically laid the foundation for me to go into my bunker and start doing hardcore stuff. Um, and from there, it just grew and it grew to the point where, you know, I just uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. And I mean, and look, here's the thing that a lot of people in archery don't want to admit. So, you know, I'm 52 now. And so I'm in the seniors, but my whole career, I had to shoot against some bitches like Dave cousins and Jesse Broadwater and real wild and Dave cousins and freaking Levi Morgan and Danny McCarthy and Braden Galantine. And they're better than me. They're better shooters. Sorry. It's just what it is, man. <laughs> like they are better. So yeah. don't, and that's the problem is I hear so often, well, you know, how do they do it? They're better than you. They're better than me. Now I can tune a bow as good or better than anybody. I have no, I can bear shaft at a hundred and shoot it yeah. in whatever. However, when you turn the lights on and you're shooting for score and you're shooting for 15 to a hundred thousand dollars, it's all up in your brain. And those people are simply better at it. 
And that's just what it is. They are that good because they are better. You can look at any sport in the world from NASCAR to basketball. Those people can be better athletes, but it's generally because mentally they are just better. And so for me, I gravitated towards, towards the tuning side. Obviously the stabilization thing became kind of my introduction into the, into the top level of, uh, you know, being, being seen or known or whatever. But, um, I found that part to be extremely rewarding, um, regardless of bow or any of that, uh, you know, I just found the ability to tune to just be rewarding because then I was able to, um, help other people. And then they see a result. Um, none of our results are equal to a Jesse or a Dave or any of them, but it's all, you know, it's all relative. Uh, this is something that, that I explained to a lot of people is a, you know, the amount of, of room for improvement for me or for you guys is way bigger than the amount of room for improvement for the pros you see on the podium. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And that's just what it is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of people and I hear it, they're like, well, I got the same bow and the same rest and the same arrows (laughs) and the same, this and the same, that, yeah, but you ain't got the same gray matter between your ears, bro. Yeah. Yours leaks out the side under pressure. Theirs doesn't. Um, you know, how many jokes have we said over the last 15 years about Jesse Broadwater? He has no pulse. Uh, you know, uh, you know, he has ice in his veins, all of these different things, whether he's winning Vegas or, you know, missing it wherever you can't tell, you just can't tell Danny McCarthy, that dude has the most disciplined shot in our sport. I don't care what anyone says. If you want to watch a shot that illustrates discipline, watch Danny McCarthy. If you want to watch a shot that is the purest shot, watch Jesse Broadwater. If you want to watch the most adaptive, adaptive shot, watch Levi Morgan. Levi will switch from a hinge to a thumb button from shot to shot in a shoot down. Yeah, it's crazy. What kind of a freak? That's what that's ridiculous. But so every single top pro out there has a certain facet of their game that has allowed them to have the success that they have. Yeah. Braden Gelantine, get them on and get them gone, son. He can hold extremely well. And I can remember when he came out of college and his shots were quick. I, I mean, I'd be on the line with him at, at a USAP back when I shot those and my first arrow would be in the air. And so was his third. And it's like, what? So every single archer out there has something about, you know, elite has something about their game um, that has made them special. And it all comes from between their ears. And Mm so, so for me, I realized, you know, early on and, and I know what my problem was the whole time. And it wasn't the fact that I was competing against literally as a pro 10 goats, because all of those guys, I mean, I can remember one time we were at uh, shooting outdoor nationals in Darrington back when we wrote checks, handwritten checks for registration. Think about that. That's how old I am. And uh, Mary Helen from the, the NFAA was there. And I literally, just as a joke, I wrote the check out to Jesse Broadwater, signed it for my registration and just put Jesse Broadwater and handed it to her. And she goes, you, you made this out to Jesse Broadwater. And I'm like, oh, I, I thought you guys were just a middleman for me to give my money directly to him. So I just figured I would save some time. <laughs> and we all laughed and tore up the check. And then I wrote a real one, but, but literally every single time I shot with any of those guys, the conversations about tuning, the conversations about all of that were spectacular 
but I learned something about shot process, about the mentality, about course management, about all kinds of things from all of them. And was I ever able to take all, you know, all of those and get to the pinnacle of the uh, professional male division? Shit. No, I had some top tens and all that kind of stuff, but every single time I enjoyed something different about the interaction, whether it was archery related or not. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do you find it? Uh, I know for myself, I started messing around with the bow, taking it apart, putting it back together, just understanding how it worked. And I found it made a huge difference in just the kind of, not necessarily the quality, just the type of shooter I became, you know, when understanding how something works, I'm not going to say it made me a better shooter, but it just made me, I don't know. It made me understand the process a lot more and, you know, um, like consistency, you know, I see a lot with like guys come up and they'll say, Hey, can you, can you, uh, can you help me shoot? Or we'll be at the range and say, Hey, can you watch me see what I'm doing wrong? You look at them, you watch their form. Everything is good for that shot down range. It's reflected. They shoot good. The next time they go up and they're doing something a little bit different, right? It's just consistent. Like every time it's just, they're not tweaking something. I'm like, and they're worried about what's going on down range. And I'm like, you'd be better off standing 10 feet from a, from a target and just shooting over and 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 over just to get your consistency down because every time you're shooting something's a little bit different and i don't it's not necessarily how they're shooting it's just they're not doing the same thing exact as over and over and over again and i found when i was started tinkering with bows that process for me became a lot more you know i was more consistent in my shooting just because i knew fundamentally what was going on in the bow and where everything needed to be, how it all needed to come together to, you know, to, uh, to become a better shooter. Absolutely. I mean, look, if you, so, and this is not something I do publicly, I don't do it for money. I don't, but when people will either send their kids to me or they will come and want to learn stuff so they can come stay with me and all that kind of the very first, I have an old Hoyt, um, Vantage Elite Plus, in my opinion, probably one of the best bows ever made. It's been dry fired five times. It's been derailed all of them times. Uh, this bow is indestructible, but the very first thing. So I had a kid come here several years ago and he comes walking out of the room with his quiver and his arrows. He's like, all right, let's go shoot. And I'm like, <laughs> you ain't shooting shit. You can put that stuff away. You're going to need Allen wrenches is what you're going to need. You're going to need Allen wrenches and a small screwdriver because you're young. You won't need glasses like me, but yeah, you ain't going to need that today. That kid sat in my office while I worked and he took, and so I dis I let him disassemble the bow, but I mean, down pockets off every single facet of that bow was disassembled to every raw part. Didn't pull the bearings out of the, out of the cams, of course, but took it down to the nubbins, sat there for eight hours, put it together, took it apart, put it together, took it apart. And I'd walk by and I'd grab an E-clip, grab a spacer. So when he put it together, he'd be like here, nope. You put together all the parts, but you didn't understand the process mm -hmm. of how everything works. And so, you know, the cables would be backwards or something would be not right. And so at the end of the day, we had a conversation and I'm like, what do rockers do? He's like, oh, well, rockers are at the end of the limb pocket. And that's what the, that's what the limb actually pivots off of. And the angle of those, of those rockers helps determine poundage and limb angle. I had a kid. And so I would go through and ask all of those questions, because if you don't know the cause and effect of your equipment, how are you ever going to know if it's not right? Oh, it's not hitting where I'm aiming. Well, there's lots of reasons for that. Did you come out of your peep? Did you torque the bow? 
that level of consistency, you're absolutely right. And the best analogy that I've ever come up with for that is Google impact point on a professional golfer's driver or putter for that matter. And then look at regular people. If you look at Tiger Woods or any pros impact point on their driver or their putter, it's a wore out spot about the size of a nickel or a quarter on their club. That's it. Yeah. Cause they hit that some bitch in the same spot. Every time you look at a regular Joe, um, yeah, the whole clubs wore out, which is why they're shankopotamus and they shoot shit this way and that way. And yeah. I mean, so you're absolutely right. The level of that consistency is everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, like right now, could I take the best tuned possible, the best tuned bow I have and go out there and beat Jesse Broadwater on a field course with a bow that's tuned like shit? Probably not. Probably not. You know, he's not going to wear out the middle, but he's not going to miss the dot a lot. He's just not mm -hmm. going to shoot as good as he possibly can. I'm still not going to beat him. And so there is diminishing return. I always tell folks, look, we're not. And I say we because 99.999% of us, we are not as good as the top pros. We're not. So we need to give ourselves every opportunity to have our level of ultimate success. We do. Mm -hmm. um, Jesse Broadwater and Levi and these guys, they can get away with a lot of stuff. They can get away with it. I mean, trust me, Gaius Carter, who just won Reading, um, is 22 years old, and I practice with him daily. He sucks in practice because he doesn't care. He's doing something. He's doing something different in practice than other people are now. And like I've said previously, you tell him one arrow close to center for lunch, you're losing it. It it's a switch, but everybody has a different process. So when like Gaius is out there practicing at hundred, he's not shooting for groups. He's shooting for shot quality. He's shooting for his process. And when he gets his process, it's all he's worried about. The mm -hmm. tune's going to be fine, but his process and his shot execution and his mentality is more important than, oh, my, my bear shaft's off by an eighth of an inch at 25 yards. Yeah, that's not going to be the, that's not going to make it or break it. So the consistency, like you said, is way more important. I mean, if you were to look at a picture of Jesse Broadwater's shot from 12, 15 years ago and overlay it other than his change of draw length, which I don't want to discuss. Jesse, if you hear this, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, uh, but his shot, especially on the backside, like from the left side of his face to his back, right elbow, you could overlay those over each other and you would not see a difference. It's the exact same all the time, uphill, downhill, side, hill, straight, flat, Vegas, Reading, outdoor nationals. It's the same. Literally, you could take 500 of those videos and overlay them over each other, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Us mere mortals can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, consistency, man. That's one thing I find. I have to, I got to practice even in the wintertime, like up here, obviously it gets a lot uh, colder than it does down in Arizona here. So we don't get the opportunity to just shoot outdoors all year round. But right. I mean, it's just, I'll sit in the garage 20 feet and just shoot over and over and over. And I'll, uh, just work on my consistency so when the snow does melt and you can get outside um, absolutely that it's exact same over and over this year i had some shoulder pain well i had a shoulder injury and now i'm having i, I came back started shooting again started shooting slowly right away develop hand torque issues mm. yep. so i've been fighting that um so we'll see what i can do to work myself out of that you got any suggestions well i mean it so so first of all 
I, I mean, hand torque is like all things, it's individual for everyone. Um, and really the part about hand torque that, that matters is what is it doing? Um, if you look at someone like a, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Tony Clem out of Colorado. Um, and I don't know if, if your viewers are going to be able to see this or just hear it, but Tony Clem used to shoot a super high wrist, like almost straight. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. He won Reading. He shot some amazing scores, but he shot a super high wrist that it, I, it would hurt my thumb to do that. But anyway, he did it. Fantastic. Look at Roger Willett. One of the most, he was Roger Willett killed it for decades. He shoots an incredibly low wrist. Like his wrist is so low and so hard into the shot that he has to run extra ounces out front on a stabilizer just to tame the bow down. Well, okay. There's lots of ways to go about doing that. Gaius, for instance, he shoots kind of a weird rolled out torquey hand position as well. When I shoot his bow, my hand position is different and it changes the bear shaft tune tremendously. So you can tune to a given hand torque situation, but really the manifestation of what that hand torque is doing is what matters. So my question to you would be, what is it doing? It seemed like, I think what I'm doing is, well, and I switched, I used to shoot Hoyt all the time and then I switched to a Matthews this year. So the grip was a little bit different to begin with. So mm -hmm. I noticed that instantly because I typically shoot pretty low. Like I'm a low, like my hands cocked, like you said, it's low mm -hmm. on my, on my grip. And I think what I'm doing is I think I'm, I think because of the shoulder, like my rotator cuff injury, mm -hmm. I think so like my hand is turned on the grip too much, like from the outside. So like, like this too much. Do you know much. what I mean? Yep. Not, not in the line where it's supposed to be. I know, I know the listeners can't see this, but okay. I think, it, you know, right here, I think what I'm doing is I'm going, I'm just gripping it like this, just to ease, ease that, that, uh, pressure on my shoulder when I'm right. drawing back. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm doing. And like what, what's happening with the bow is I'm getting, it's when I release, it's kicking in my hand. Do you know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you're right. Um, that's exactly what is happening. And the reason for that and is called rotational deflection. And so what, what rotational deflection is, is so when you put a arrow into your bow at brace height, then you look down the arrow and you look at where your pins are. Once again, you, I'll illustrate this on the screen for you, but you folks can't yeah. hear it, but see it. But if you look down your arrow at brace height, and then you look at your pins for a, for a right-handed shooter, your pins are always to the left of the arrow. Yeah. And then when you come to full draw, they're perfectly in line, mm -hmm. assuming, assuming you're hitting the middle. Let's, uh, yeah, we do have to, <laughs> uh, yeah. Assuming you're hitting the middle and for a right-handed shooter, they'll be off to the right and then they'll come into the middle. The reason for that is called rotational deflection and every bow has it. Don't think if your bow has it, it, it is a bad bow. Every bow has it. And here's why. So for a right-handed shooter, the, the cables are on the right-hand side. They're held by a cable rod or a cable slide or however you want a, a roller guard, whatever mechanism your bow manufacturer used, they have to pull those cables out of the way of the arrow. Mm -hmm. yep. You can't shoot with those things straight down the middle, mm -mm. period. Mm -hmm. So pulling those out of the way creates torque. Your hand doesn't come in directly from behind the bow. It comes in from the side. And so those things are amplifying that amount of rotational deflection. So when you have pins that are to the left at, at brace height and over the, over the arrow at full draw, as soon as your release goes click, what do those want to do? They want to go back to where they were. Yeah. 
And that rotational deflection manifests itself to the arrow as torque transfer. And that's why you're going to get impact variations. Now, um, obviously, we could talk about torque tuning to mitigate all that. So I torque tune at 80. So at 80 yards, hunting or target, I can grab my bow, assuming I make good shots, and I can shoot one arrow in the middle normal. I can come to full draw, grab the bow, torque it one way, recenter my peep, and shoot another arrow in the middle, or at least in the dot. Then I can grab a third, come to full draw, grab it, torque it the other way. So I'm going both ways. Mm -hmm. I can shoot that arrow in the dot. So I end up with three arrows in the dot with exceptional amounts of, of induced hand torque. So when you do that, any of the stuff you're talking about doesn't necessarily manifest itself downrange. Hmm. Now here comes the bill. <laughs> there's, there's always something. <laughs> always something. Uh, the geometry of the bow, the size and uh, energy transfer of the cams, some cams and some bows make it more difficult <clears throat> or impossible to torque tune. So this is going to sound super weird to you because it is with the current configuration or the current bow that you're using. If you were to take your rest and put it on the bow, but have it come in from the front of the bow so that your rest was contacting the arrow way in front, mm -hmm. you'd be able to torque tune it. Oh. Unfortunately, the current geometry and those cams that are on there that are the size of you know, deep south now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. They're like 30 inch dubs on a, on a donk down in Louisiana. Um, those make it exceptionally difficult to torque to, if not impossible. Right. Um, and that's just what it is. Um, mm -hmm. and so when we start talking about, um, torque tuning, basically here's what we're, what we're looking for with the rotational deflection, when the bow comes to full draw and that torque loads into it, the arrow is affected. The arrow flight and the arrow path um, is, is affected by the contact point of the rest. So what we're trying to do with torque tuning is we can't get rid of the, the rotational deflection. We just can't. We can't get rid of that torque unless we shoot, shoot through cables, um, which the, no bow company is currently offering for a reason. <laughs> um, high maintenance, lower, it's just problematic. No one's putting a broadhead through the middle of split split cables that would be a bad idea um but what we're trying to do is when that 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 rotational deflection manifests itself as the torque transfer to the arrow we want the contact point of the arrow and the rest to be on the axis of rotation for the entire system at full draw meaning so i'm going to illustrate this on the screen so if you have these three points i'm holding up my three fingers folks yeah i'm going to put my other index finger on my middle finger so there's three fingers up there. And if you rotate these, which one of those points would you want your arrow touching the rest? The middle finger or one of the other fingers mm -hmm. where it actually rotates the arrow? Yeah, you so want it on the center. You want it on the center. So when that when it naturally torques, which it's gonna, yeah. it doesn't affect your impact point. Right. That's it. Interesting. And yeah. when you do that, you will have a level of forgiveness that you, you know, have never achieved before, especially when we start getting into hunting, it's going to be even more triggering for folks uphill yeah. and downhill, because when you yeah. start start, when you start shooting uphill and downhill, the amount of torque that's put into the bow, um, becomes more 
because of the, the way the forces are exerted on the bow. If you have a sidebar, you know, any of the, the other things that happen. Uh, so that's why, that's why torque tuning is even, even more critical in that application. So, um, there are, you know, there are, uh, bow geometry and bow cam considerations, um, that take place when we have these conversations. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean just because you can't necessarily easily torque tune your chosen bow at this moment that you're going to get one that doesn't kill as much shit as Levi Morgan. Cause you're not mm-hmm. Levi Morgan is a goat. He is a unbelievable shot. And the thing that really upsets a lot of folks is, is if we want to talk about killing ethically harvesting animals with razor blades attached to the end of your arrow versus shooting tournaments for score where the amount of room for error is way, way less. Like at the professional level in target archery, there is no room for error. You don't get to miss and a miss in target archery is right there for the world to see. And it's on the scorecard. I can make, I haven't, ah, yes, I have, but generally speaking, we can watch enough television shows and we can watch TV shows, shoot stuff in the ass or literally miss the pocket by 30 inches and hit the femoral artery way back in the hip and be like, yeah, got him. Um, yeah, yeah. Got him, but you didn't yeah. really <laughs> literally. Oh, you killed it. Yes, yeah. you did. Um, so did the guy on the road that hit it with his truck. But so, so the room for error, you know, what's, what's the definition of success when you're hunting? The definition of success is this, is it on the wall or is it in the freezer? Yeah. Success. Success. Oh yeah. There's a huge difference, huge difference between shooting at uh, like target archery, just archery in general and and hunting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so the more people understand that the, the, the unit of measure, when you talk to Levi Morgan, and he talks about killing. He's not aiming for the pocket. He's aiming for a little tiny patch of hair that he saw on this one little thing. And I've been there and I've seen him do it. He can make a perfect shot by hunting standards. That animal can run 20 yards, keel over dead, ethical. Everything's amazing. And I've literally watched him walk up and be like, oh, I missed by two inches. Not on camera, but the archer discussion. He's like, hmm. I was aiming for that. And I hit that Yeah, yeah. noted. And he notes yeah. it in his head. Like, well, I didn't yeah. hit any branches. I didn't this, I didn't that, but oh, well, okay, cool. I mean, I got the animal. Everything's great, but the standard that some archers and hunters hold them to hold themselves to needs to be adjusted because the unit of measure is everything. Yeah. He takes the saying aim small, miss small to a whole new level. Absolutely. Uh, there's no question about it. And let's be honest, we're, we're hunting animals, um, you know, and, and obviously your situational awareness is everything. If you don't have situational awareness, then, then you have a real problem, but they are animals and they are hyper, hyper sensitive. I mean, fight or flight. Oh yeah. They want to live. Yes. <laughs> they exactly. don't want an arrow in them and they so don't, they're... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say they got year, millions of years of, of, you know, evolutionary instinct to survive. So, I mean, uh, yeah, they, they want to live. Exactly. I mean, like if, if you were dependent on your upbringing, (laughs) I don't wait around, but if a group of us were to be sitting around and all of a sudden some huge noise was to happen, some people will jump and be like, what was that? Other people will take four or five steps and then be like, what was that? Deer don't wait. 
if deer hear something that they don't like, they are gone. They don't, they don't wait around to ask questions. Now a mule deer, they're kind of dumb. They'll run about 20, 30 yards and then they'll turn and be like, Hmm, what's going on back there? <laughs> uh, whitetail, they kick rocks. Yeah. Um, you know, elk depending on the situation, but for the most part, they don't, they're not analyzing a perceived danger, whether it's a danger or not, they just break out. Mm-hmm. And so your situational awareness in any particular shot, whether it's the angle of the shot, what's the animal doing? Is its head down in the ground, you know, eating? Is it, can it hear? Is there wind? What's the situation? Um, Taking shots in, you know, in those kinds of situations, you want to give yourself the highest chance for success you can. And all of these things that we're discussing simply increase your chances not to screw it up. Yeah. Guys like Levi, yeah. Guys like Levi Morgan don't screw it up a lot more than guys like us do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Simple fact. Yeah. I guess that's where it gets going to being comfortable with your gear too, especially if you pick up a new tool, like this year I got a new bow, but I also went from a wrist release to a thumb release Mm. and game changer one. Right. (laughs) Right. But (laughs) here's where the repetition comes into my backyard every night that I can. I don't care if it's, you know, too windy or not. It's just all I'm trying to do now is figure out my process. I can feel the difference now when I've made a good shot with the thumb release versus one. And I don't care about impact point per se. I can feel it as soon as that trigger goes off. I did something wrong there. I used my thumb instead of squeezing my shoulder blades together. It's instant. It's night and day difference where before I found with the wrist release, you know, I catch myself uh, punching a shot every once in a while and be like, okay, I know exactly what I did there. Didn't feel right. But now it's kind of going back to what you and Kevin were saying. It's getting that repetition, doing that exact thing over and over. And, you know, I I wanted to go bear hunting with my bow this year. I've only got a couple of weeks left. I'm going to write that off because I'm not quite there. I want to eliminate all those uh, uh, just, just my form issues that I have. I want to eliminate those so that when I get to, shooting my broadheads, I'm not adjusting for, I'm not putting the bandaid on my form problem where if I just fix my form problem, I'm not tuning to that. I'm the bow is probably fine where it is maybe a micro adjustment here or there, but if I don't adjust my form, nothing, you know, you're just sticking a bandaid on it. You're not actually fixing something that's, that's fixable. hundred percent. I mean, I can remember, holy hell, this was, this had to be 2004, had to be 2004. It's been been a hot minute. I was out elk hunting in the strawberries, uh, strawberry mountains in, in Oregon. And I, at the time I was still shooting the Fletcher for hunting. Love that release. In practice, I could stand there at a buck 25, shoot my old PSE X force at three thirty-five with four blade whackums. And I could literally hit a paper plate, every single shot at 125 yards. It was redonkulous. It was stupid. We get out there and I miss two deer, one at 40 and one at 70 right over the top. We eat. Well, I could shoot that thumb release or I could shoot that wrist rocket. Amazing on paper, amazing on foam. You put fur on the other end of that and good night. Now I become a dumpster fire. And so went back to camp and I had brought my whole goodie bag. So I, so I switched to a, at the time, a Zenith release with a click, a hinge. And it changed. I didn't quite shoot, you know, this was an immediate trend, you know, and I just moved my sight. I'm sure it changed my tune, but, um, I wasn't quite shooting as tight in practice, but I could then execute a shot on fur 
And here's why. So I had put in so many, and I shoot with a hinge to this day. Um, since then, I have not come to full draw on an animal intending to shoot it since not once ever. Mm. Basically what came to be for me is I had put in so many repetitions with this release. And so if, if, if I go hunting this year, whether it's a, a, a slick head or whether it's a 180 inch buck or a, I did go all in for moose in Alaska, Dave Madden, I haven't heard anyway. Um, and so basically what, what happens for me is I have put in so many repetitions with a release with a click that now, and since then, all I tell myself is, all right, first of all, I don't, if I don't get this animal, it's not the end of the world. My TV show's not ruined. I'm not going to be starving. I'm not, you know, look, this is not, I'm not, I'm not liver King. I don't need to harvest this to, well, he doesn't either. But the point is, so what I do is I say, okay, well, and first of all, I understand whether I'm in a tree stand, a ground blind. Well, a ground blinds relative for me because it's six, seven, two eighty. Ground blinds are <laughs> gotta be a. Gotta, I was I was gonna ask you because I've been watching, uh, I've been junkieing out on bow junkie, and we can get into that a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but I was gonna ask you how tall you are because every single person you interview, you're looking down on. So <laughs> right. I've either figured you're surround yourself by a bunch of short asses, or you must be a giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am five foot nineteen, um, and uh, about two eighty. And I, I, I'll be going to the gym as soon as this is done. Um, I am a gym rat. I love it. Um, and my whole thing is, you know, I'm just an old dude trying not to go down without a fight. And so, you know, uh, I, when I tell people this, they're like, oh, you can't have negativity, but look, statistically, just the numbers, not Fauci numbers, just real numbers. Um, people, my size don't live as long as regular size people. It's not saying that I have to accept it, but I need to understand it. And so for someone my size, I, I can't be a couch potato. I can't be a fat tub of shit pounding bonbons and M&Ms all day, every day, eating four peanut butter and jellies all the time. I, not if I want to live my best life and not if I want to give my chance, give myself a chance to live as long as I possibly can. It's just yeah. a fact. So yeah. I work out a lot because I like it and it's become yeah. kind of part of part of, of, of my overall, and there, there's no better way to relieve stress. Period. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so for me, when, you know, and I do understand the, the whole ground blind thing, I think I've only shot one doe out of a ground blind. There was a cameraman there and it was no offense to anyone out there that likes monkeys, but it was like a monkey fucking a football, um, <laughs> at 30, 32 inches in draw length coming to full draw inside of a ground blind with a cameraman. And I'm like, elbows almost against the back and i'm just like this is, this is not just good imagine anyway. the whole ground by lifting up like throwing a projectile out of it <laughs> literally it's it's incredible but 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 my thing is um i understand myself first thing i understand is i am not darren collins or T lee lakoski or levi morgan or i'm probably not even you guys either i understand that no matter where I am, that there is the possibility that when I come to full draw and look through my peep, an earthquake is going to happen. Now, I'm probably the only one that feels it, the old buckish fever, and I am suffering for it. And there is no vaccine for that. No matter how many animals I kill, which is not a ton, I'm not Aaron Snyder or none of that. But uh, yeah, an earthquake happens all the time. So for me, way back when, <clears throat> the thing that I stumbled upon, and I'm not going to say that I'm some great white hunter. 
I'm not some great any color hunter, to be honest with you, but um, I can shoot a bow. And so what I discovered was, okay, once I have the, the hinge in my hand with a click, I come to full draw and I can be sitting there just shaking, but I'll just be like, all right, let's just see how we're, let's just see how we're aiming. Let's just, we're just going to aim. We're just going to aim. We're not shooting. Literally, I will tell myself, calm the hell down. You're not shooting. What's the problem? And that helps me a ton. So I'll be at full draw and my form dictates everything. If I'm not comfortable, nothing's moving. I put these giant dick mitts on that release. And if I'm nerved up, it ain't moving. I don't care what happens. The release is not moving. It's not. But when I come back and I'm like, all right, well, all right, just, just breathe. And we're just going to aim. We're just going to aim on it. Let's see how we're going to aim. Just going to aim. We're not shooting, Greg. Calm down. We're not <laughs> shooting. So I'll come to full draw on an animal. And if my pen comes down into there, I don't even have to think about it. And when, when that release goes click, everything for me just stops. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, this is home. Then it doesn't matter what I'm shooting. Mm -hmm. But until that release goes clicks, I'm pretty much pissing down my leg the whole time. And there's been plenty of times I've come to full draw and the earthquake is happening and the release doesn't click. And I'm like, nope. And I'll let down. The animals have walked away before. I don't care. Right. Fine. I'll live to fight another day. That animal will live to not walk around with an arrow sticking out of its butthole, whatever it may be. I'm good with it. But for me, I just tell myself, all right, dude, you're not shooting. Let's just draw back and we're just going to aim on this thing and see, you know, how far is it? Okay. We're just going to draw back and aim. Let's just see how things are feeling. It's one of the only times that I'm in my feelings when they matter. Um, and so I'll draw back and I'll just aim. And there's times I'm from face to butt and I'm like, oh, this ain't happening. But then there's other times where I come back and the dot or the pin comes down into the pocket and settles. And then my form just naturally goes click. And after that, I'm like, oh yeah, we're doing this. All right. And then I just execute dunk, shot breaks and venisons for dinner. You know, I got to say, at least you got the discipline to know when you've got that earthquake happening <laughs> right, and not to release. Cause I know, I know lots of people that they just take the shot anyway. Right. I'm just well, going to play the bounce. I'm going to wait till it goes up and down and I'm going to pull it when it hits in the middle. Exactly. And, but I mean, that's, I think it's better for, well, it's better for a hunter. It's better for the animal, but I think long-term it's, it is better if you can recognize, uh, I won't call them faults, but those inconsistencies and be like, no, this isn't happening right now. Or like you say, let down and take a breath, compose yourself, mm. do it all over again. Right. Or unless the animal's, walked off then whatever it literally and if if you're somewhere where you had that opportunity you'll have another yeah I, I mean that's just that's just all there is to it um and so you know for me i think about you know number one first and foremost for me is how i feel about the situation when i can project myself to the end result um <clears throat> do i want to harvest the animal of course i do do i want the meat Duh, my miles per gallon sucks. I need all the food I can get. So <laughs> of course I do. But for me, I think about the, the ethical harvesting of the animal is every single shot I've ever taken, you know, resulted in a four and a half second, 15 yard kill. Well, no, of course not. Some animals are not that way. Um, have I ever made a bad shot? A bad is a relative term. Um, but of course you, uh, of course. Mm -hmm. And the thing that 
this is something, and I still catch hell about it. And this is not to brag or any of that bullshit. But if you go, if you go on YouTube and you Google, like right now, one of you can jump on your phone or computer and go Google hundred yard archery heart shot, hundred yard archery heart shot. Google that term, my hunt from, uh, down in Texas on a scimitar Oryx is the number one result. And so I can I still catch hell for that. Cause they're like, Oh, that's not ethical. Dude. I shot this thing through the heart on purpose because in about two and a half hours, we were going to eat. Um, and I didn't want to have to chase this scimitar Oryx all around hell's creation. So I was, I was full blown Ricky Bobby hit or miss. I'm not, I'm not shooting this thing in the pocket. I'm shooting it in the heart or I'm missing it. Shot it in the heart died on my wife was filming. Um, and this had been my, this had been my fourth stock on this scimitar only arrow. I fired at it, but literally I could get to 101 yards and this thing wouldn't move wide open. If I got to 99, it would walk away. 101. No problem. Hundred. No problem. 99. It'd walk away. It's like it had a rangefinder on me. It was stupid. And finally the situation was proper and I came to full draw every, you know, I came to full draw once and it walked away. I counted its steps and then paced that off. But anyway, came to full draw, didn't intend to shoot release, clicked. Everything was perfect. Flowed pow. Good. I have made more. I have made the most ethical kills on my animals over 75 yards than I have under 40. I can't explain it. Um, but every time I shoot at an animal at distance, it seems to die quicker. My shots seem to be uh, more accurate. Um, the stuff I've shot in under 40, it dies as well. But it doesn't always, for me, it doesn't always seem like the shots from 20 to 40 um, are, are the same. And maybe it's because of that, that intimacy and I'm more nervous. It's not like I'm aiming for the pocket and I hit it in the guts all the No, no, no. But it just seems for me. Like when I shoot, you know, I shot another deer at, at 88 yards and the whole time it was across this big dried Creek bed. It was a really cool shot Quar quartering away. It was banging, but literally I ranged it at, you guys are going to laugh at me and that's cool. Cause I do it. I ranged this thing at 86 yards and I stepped back two yards and all I could think about was the elk herd and Redding the whole time. Literally I'm in the woods and I'm, it's a mule deer across this big giant dried Creek bed. And I literally stepped two yards back. And the whole time I was coming to full draw and doing the whole nine yards, all I could think about was the elk herd and ready. How stupid am I? And made a perfect shot freaking to the nubbins. It was amazing. Ran about 30 yards and died. It's just how I am. But the shots I've, you know, under 40, they don't, they don't for me always seem to settle as quick they don't seem, you know, obviously they're ethical kills, but for me, the longest tracking jobs I've ever had to do under 40 yards. I mean, I shot a bison at 35 yards. I shot a bison at 35 yards. It's like shooting a Ford truck at 35 yards right in the lungs. Cause I will, I, I will admit I did not necessarily, um, I knew where I wanted to shoot it. I shot it where I wanted to shot it, shoot it, but, um, I probably should have been a little bit more aggressive on my arrow placement. Um, cause I generally like to, you know, shoot stuff in the heart if I can, but I was like, oh, this thing's so big and I don't know the shoulder blade. And, uh, you know, I fooled my, I basically talked myself out of what I would normally do for a shot. I mean, I was shooting a 500, uh, I was shooting a 595 grain arrow at 280. So ranch ferry things aside, 
um, I would have been fine either way. But I talked myself out of, oh, it's so big and it's so this and it's so that. And I want to stay. So I just shot it right in the middle of the lungs at 35 yards. That son of a bitch ran forever. I mean, forever. And I was like, what in the hell? I ended up having to put another arrow into it. And I'm like, what the shit? And then, you know, upon, you know, we obviously got it and all that kind of stuff. But, but then, you know, literally once we got it and I started looking, I'm like, what a pussy I am. I literally, (laughs) I literally talked myself out of a shot that at 35, 35 yards. I mean, really 35 yards. I talked myself out of shooting where I would normally want to shoot uh, some because maybe I was not educated enough on the anatomy of the animal, but I think the size of the animal intimidated me to where I just went full safety mode. And I'm like, just, just shoot it in the lungs and, and we'll get it. It'll be fine. Whereas normally I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut the heart off. So when we got this thing, the heart just comes falling off. Cause I literally cut it in half. But on this shot, I kind of pushed out and tried to take, it was broadside. It wasn't a shot where I had to settle in any way. It was broadside. It was, I will admit the general manager of the, uh, of the place where I was not high fence, by the way, um, was freaking out and shitting his pants because I didn't necessarily follow his guidelines on how close to get. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny that that bull looked like it wanted to charge me and do one of two things, both of which, <laughs> both of which I would have not enjoyed. Um, luckily for me, uh, 35 was pr- presented the perfect shot. Um, when he, he did see me, he did see me and he not afraid. There was no afraid in him. Um, no, it was not a Yellowstone moment. Um, no, I was not a California driver that got out to take a picture and let a Buffalo get between me and my car and then stomp a mud hole in my ass. However, um, I did have an exit strategy, which would not have worked because it could have run me down, um, throwing my bow at it wouldn't have helped, but, um, it all worked out. But what I learned from that is, is under most normal circumstances, take your shot, take your shot. Um, you know, if it's a, you know, like on that 88 yard deer. It was quartering a little bit and I knew I had to hit it, you know, back a couple ribs to get the angle of the dangle. And I did so, um, but that was my shot. Um, but in this situation, because of the size of the animal, I was like, mm, you know, uh, so I talked myself out of it and ended up walking for way longer than I needed to, um, for no reason. So, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's part and parcel of understanding your skill set, And I still get you know, messages about that hundred yard heart shot on that scimitar Oryx. Uh, that was a management Oryx, by the way, it had lost its horns and got ostracized from the herd. So that's why they wanted it gone. Um, so it doesn't have the big sweeping horns, but man, it tasted good. Um, how many times have you taken a hundred yard shot Four, four times, three mule deer? No, I just mean, how many times have you shot at a hundred yards at a target or at at anything at target? Yeah. I mean, obviously a target's a little different animal, but hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of, thousands. hundreds of thousands of times. So, I literally, I literally shoot 90, not for indoors. Um, but when I step outside for hunting or outdoor target, I shoot 90% of my shots at hundred yards. Yeah. And I can guarantee you that the people who are saying shit or judging you about shooting at hundred yards, they can't hit the fucking target at hundred yards. That's why they're saying it. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and look, and, and I get it. They're like, well, you're not a hunter and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, Hey, look, man, good for you. If, if, you know, Aaron Snyder, dude, he kills a Wolverine at 12 feet with a trad bow, 12 feet. Okay. So let's talk about skill set. Um, first of all, I'm five foot 19, 280. I don't hide well. Just, just yeah. I don't hide well. Let's just be <laughs> honest. Um, number two, um, I'm not super sneaky. I'm not. Yeah, um, yeah. Could I go hang out with Aaron Snyder for a year and learn how to be? Probably, but I'm not gonna. You want to know why? Because I can shoot you in the face at 100 yards pretty much every time. Uh-huh. So you use your skill set. I'll use mine. Would I rather be an Aaron Snyder and kill more stuff than, a, than the smallpox? because I can get so close, that would be awesome. But that's just not my skill set. I didn't grow up doing that. Um, I wasn't, you know, I tried to join the Marine Corps in 88, but I, for a bad heart, I got DQ'd, but you know, I didn't serve like Aaron. I didn't, I don't have the life experiences that Aaron does. I'm not taking a new Kafaro product up on the top of a mountain for 12 effing days in a blizzard just to see how it does. What? Dude's a psycho. Aaron's a sociopath. I mean, literally he chases goats up mountains and flip-flops with a spork for fun. Yeah. That's not fun for me. I'm not doing that. I'm not love you. Aaron's Aaron's one of the few people, Aaron and I have been friends for a long time. Aaron's one of the few people that I have literally told, don't ask me to go honey. I'm not going with you. (laughs) I, I, I mean, under his normal circumstances, I'm just not, I don't have the survival skills. I can buy the equipment. But like a lot of people at these archery tournaments that show up with $3,000 rigs and suck donkey balls, just because you got the proper equipment don't mean you know how to use it, my brother. And so I could be outfitted with the greatest stuff in the world. I'll die out there by myself. So I could go with Aaron and I would, and I love hanging out with Aaron. We have a great time. So if he was to ever say, Hey, we're going on this hunt. That's intermediate at best. I'm in most of the shit Aaron does is not intermediate at best. So I'm like, nah, bro, you we're good. You, you go. Um, but understanding your skill set and your limitations is a, is something that archers have a problem with. When I see Aaron Snyder out there killing Wolverines at 12 feet, I don't relate to that. I respect the shit out of it. I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed. Zero desire to do it. When I watch NASCAR drivers drive around the track, 250 miles an hour, no desire to do it. I'm not sorry. You could put me in that car. I don't think I would fit in that car, but you could put me in that car <laughs> and I'm not doing that. It's just not my, it's not my skill set. It's not even what I consider fun. I'm sorry. It's just not. Yeah. And so, but in archery and the outdoors in general, um, people always want to project their skill set, oh, yeah. project, Absolutely. you know, project yeah, yeah. their, their level of moral or ethical uh, units of measure onto everybody else. Yeah, well, that's just because it makes them feel better. You yeah. know, if they can't do a hundred yard shot, then you know, if they knock somebody for trying or having the ability, or just like shot hundreds of thousands of rounds at at a hundred yards while they're sitting on the couch, eating, you know, watching Netflix or doing whatever. Yeah, you know, that's why I have a hard time when people tell anybody what they should or shouldn't be doing. Absolutely. And the thing is, too, if you're practicing at a hundred, regardless whether you try to shoot an animal at a hundred after all those reps. It makes everything underneath that a chip shot, so to speak. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just well, like if you're hitting that dinner plate every single time at 100 yards. Yeah. Well, man, it's going to look like the side of a broadside of a barn at 60 yards, yeah. 50 well, yards. And, and I don't shoot at 100 yard dot at 100. I shoot at a 50 yard dot at 100. I can't even see that far. 
<laughs> well, that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with that because I my pin my hunting pin covers the 50 yard dot at 100. Um, my target rig does not. Um, but no, absolutely. And what it's about is 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 room for error. Um, you can get away with murder at 20 yards. You can I can I can intentionally come out of my peep. I can intentionally do all kinds of shit. And I'm only going to miss at 20 by an inch. Yeah. Like in a hunting situation, yeah. that's Nothing. meaningless. Yeah. At a hundred. Um, yeah. The, uh, at a hundred yards, mother nature is just waiting there to stomp your balls. If you do anything wrong, period, push the bow, creep a little change, anything you're missing by a foot. It's a hundred yeah. yards. And it's easy to do too. When you're hunting. I mean, there's so many variables like hand torque is so easy to get excited. If you have, you know, if you have any target panic or you have, you know, any buck fever, it's easy, easy to grab that grip a little too hard. It's easy to get out in your form. And, um, yeah, there's just so many variables when you're hunting for sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's the reason that, that, you know, myself and a lot of us shoot so many arrows at distance is because it makes everything else easier. Yeah. Um, and you know, like when I did the video, however many years ago where I was bear shaft tuning and I bear shaft tuned at a hundred and shot a bear shaft perfectly at a hundred. And everyone's like, why would you do that? I'm like, well, first of all, cause I can second of all, I didn't leave it that way because the fletched arrows did not shoot as good with that particular tune. They just didn't. Now when my bear shafts pipe at like 50 to 60, oh yeah, we good. But for whatever reason, um, and I know the reason why, um, I had to raise my rest a little bit more than I normally would to get the bear shaft to stay in the middle at a hundred. And so for the flat shafts, it ended up not being the perfect recipe. So I didn't leave it that way because I bear shaft at a hundred and then, you know, shot a whole bunch of groups with flat shafts and they just quite frankly, um, didn't, you know, didn't do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I got a list here. It's got a hundred questions on it. So, right. um, we're not, we're, well, we're not going to get through them all, but, uh, I want to talk a little bit about bow junkie kind of just what it is. And I kind of just want to introduce some Canadians to, to that. Cause I've been listening to your podcast and watching your YouTube channel lately. Uh, lots of awesome stuff on there. So when did that all start? So my wife and I took over, uh, my wife, Kathy and I took over bow junkie in 2016 from, uh, the gentleman who created it. His name's Jason Corley. Um, and basically we just took it over because we felt that, that, uh, you know, it needed to be there and it was my opinion. And look, I'm not a media guy. I'm not trained for it. You see my face. I'm not a handsome, I'm not GQ money. <laughs> no, I'm a big giant dude. That's not best looking. And I stutter. And oh, by the way, I curse sometimes I'm not the poster child for media coverage. However, um, it was just my opinion, you know, and, and everybody says that oh, our, watching archery is like watching paint dry. It certainly can be, but guess what? Turn on your favorite sport. I don't care what it is. And then hit mute and tell me how long it's interesting. Yeah. Exactly. It's not, I don't care who you are. If you yeah, turn on your favorite sport and then hit mute and your attention span is going to be about three minutes, even if it's your favorite sport. So the commentary for me is what makes it. And so my opinion for Bo Junkie was always that if I wouldn't watch it, why would you? And so I have the historical knowledge with the archers. I'm not afraid to ask real questions and the archers trust that if I'm going to ask them a tough question, which I am, um, I'm not trying to corner them. I'm not trying to embarrass them. And I'm going to ask it in a way that is not, 
um, uh, you know, going to inflame any issues for them because archery is not a real sport. We don't have, we don't have the capacity for the fuckery that other sports do. Well, yeah. archery has plenty of fuckery. Trust me. Um, most of y'all just don't know about it. So that was kind of my thing. Um, we did it for about six years. We've taken a huge step back this year simply because, um, you know, we did it. We didn't do it for money. Uh, actually, Kathy and I never paid ourselves to do bow junkie. We put all the money back into it. Um, you know, when people talk about the global impact of, you know, what archery can be, just to give you a reference in 2021, the bow junkie Facebook page reached 190 million people. Wow. That's awesome. And as far as, and as far as the podcast goes, um, you know, I think the, the bow junkie podcast right now has like two and a half million downloads. Awesome. Um, but I just get on there and talk shit. I just spread hate and discontent and have conversations <laughs> that I record. Love it. <laughs> and that's just what it is, man. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm too old to change now. I'm not, every, I, I mean, look, I'll admit it. I am not for everybody. There's some people that hate my fucking guts and I, I am fresh out of fucks to give about it, but, yeah, fuck them um, anyway. but I just speak, I just speak the truth and some folks don't like it. Yeah. Well, you're going to get that wherever you go, I think. But uh, yeah, I've, I've been hitting the, uh, hitting the podcast. I've been loving it. I'm started at, I started at the top and worked my way back. Um, so, oh, okay. So still working through them, but lots of great yeah, stuff on there. To a few of them too. They're awesome. I love it. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. That's archery, actually archery in, uh, like bow hunting, I guess, and in Canada, it's, yeah, I mean, it's nowhere near it is where it is or archery in, in, uh, I guess is nowhere near where it is in the United States, but it's slowly, right. it's starting to make, uh, you know, gain popularity and it's good. It's cool awesome. to get, uh, chatting with you guys and learn lots of stuff. But like I said, I, I got tons of questions and, uh, obviously we're not going to get to any of them because, you know, we've already been taking up a lot of your time and I know Pete's got stuff to do today and I'm sure I can find something to do. Yeah, so, it's all good. We, we can always do a part two if you guys want to get together questions that. and we yeah, can, uh, yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. Yeah. You bet. Anytime. Okay. okay, man. Awesome. You got anything to add Pete? Uh, no, I'm going to look forward to the, uh, to the part two for sure. It's uh yeah. Love chatting with you. It's awesome. Absolutely, man. Anytime you guys have a great day. I appreciate the invite. And, uh, like I said, just let me know when you guys want to throw down part two and we'll, uh, We'll get her done. Awesome. awesome. Thank okay. you very much. All right, guys. Later. See you later. Later. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into the Focus Hunting Podcast. It's coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Quick shout out to the sponsors of the show Vortex Optics, the best in optics, period. AKU Boots, yo to your feet. Now, if you guys look in the show notes, you're going to find uh, some promo codes, use them, save a bunch, and uh, as always, leave us a five-star rating or review. Really appreciate that. Okay, guys, until next time, love you.